let's not say anything. Let's not drag their their reproductive organs through the mud, um, which can be fun if, if done in the right context. Hello, I'm Justin. I'm Mark. We're the J-Pops. And we are attempting parenting in Japan. Welcome to a woefully belated episode 70, everybody. Yes. Um, we're about five or six days behind on this one, but that's what happens. You get, uh, you know, babies in the picture and people in the family and things get busy. Indeed. Sorry. It's, uh, it's entirely my fault that we are this delayed because I just could not manage to keep myself awake past nine o'clock to get any <laughs> recording done. Yeah. So I apologize to happen. everyone, mostly Justin. It's it's delays like this that are going to drive away the sponsors, Mark. I know. I mean, we lost Honda, didn't we? We haven't talked about them in months, I feel like. Well, I did want to say that if you're going to drive away sponsors, then there's Nothing better to do it in than a Honda Freed. <laughs> Got them back. Spacious interior, <laughs> the mileage. I would get one. I'd, I'd really, I'm really interested. I like them, but it's the lack of four wheel drive that that gets me. Oh yeah, do they not have a four wheel drive version? They do, but that doesn't have the the big the seat capacity. Oh my goodness! Well, which I don't understand. I'm sure the crack mechanics over at the fine Honda Corporation are on top of it now. Get on it. Regardless, welcome to episode 70, and yep. today we're talking uh, baby and toddler safety, but first, the updates, and uh, Mark, take it away, give me some updates. I'll start with Emma, because she's the youngest. Uh, she's, what, a month and a half? Almost two months now. Um, we're about 10 days away from going to Osaka to do the whole passport like citizenship paperwork. Mm -hmm. So that'll be exciting and nerve wracking. Um, but everything's all set for that. We're all ready to go. Uh, she is a bit colicky these days though. And I don't know if you had any experience with that with Nico, but I, we did not have any experience with that with Coda before. We had no experience with that with Nico and colic is one of those words that you hear. And yeah. I think, is this just made up? It's like so <laughs> mysterious and nobody knows what it is. And yeah. then in the back of my mind, I'm always thinking like, your baby's just crying. Come on. It's what? What's well, yeah. On? I mean, but, that is essentially it. Your baby is just crying, but it's like inconsolable crying. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's this uh, leads me to an early question is, uh, have you looked into colic and tried to parse it out exactly what they think it is? Yeah. I've looked into it a bit and it just seems kind of vague. Like nobody really has a clear understanding. It's kind of like one of these developmental things, like something's not perfectly developed internally. So mm. it may be causing distress or discomfort mm -hmm. and the baby's reacting to that. Mm. I tend to think that it has to do a lot with gas. Like she's very gassy. Uh -huh. And the way that she drinks a lot is she gets a lot of air in. Cause she'll mm -hmm. be drinking too fast sometimes. And then it's like, <laughs> you'll hear that air bubble get in there and you're like, Oh shit. Yeah. So I think, I think it's a lot of gas and underdevelopment of something internally. And is colic meant to be a medical term for a, like an illness or something, or is colic just meant to be like a catch all term that means uh, this baby's got something going on that we don't understand. I don't know if it's a medical term. I assume it is, but hold on. Let me Google. Hold on. We're taking a Google break. Colic medical term. Yeah. An attack of acute abdominal pain localized in a hollow organ or part as the small intestine, ureter, or bile duct, and often caused by spasm, obstruction, or twisting. Hmm. Okay. All of that sounds pleasant. Yeah, I looked it up in the dictionary here and it says it's a paroxysmal pain in the abdomen or bowels pertaining mm. to or affecting the colon or the bowels. Mm. So it sounds like medically they've uh, isolated it to an abdominal pain, which is yeah. interesting because I always in my mind, I always thought colic was more of a cough or respiratory thing. But I guess it's oh, really abdomen pain. Yeah. Oh, no, I always thought it was stomach and intestine related. It's not it's not terrible though. Like she's not like crying all day, all mm -hmm. night, and it's bad. It's usually 
like it started maybe a couple weeks ago it was in the morning she would get really colicky and fussy from like maybe 8 to 11 Mm -hmm. and just cry and try to feed her she didn't want it try to console her she didn't want it just cried and then like from afternoon on she was totally fine even in the evening and overnight she slept totally fine Mm -hmm. but now it's changed it's like kind of starts at like 5 p.m and goes till about nine ish and she's like crying and it's off and on crying but when she does cry it's like it's like somebody is killing a cat oh yeah is the best way i can describe it like it's just the harshest cry you think somebody is torturing this baby and you're just like you're instantly panicked and like trying to go over and be like what do you need (laughs) the only thing i could do with nico when he cried a lot which uh he didn't have any kind of you know colic or ailments or anything so it was always somewhat easy to solve but you know you just change position or you rock him or you do something else is there anything that can soothe her when she's in a colicky fit sometimes sometimes you can like try to change position like sit her more upright and carry her sometimes like bouncing sometimes putting a binky in um there doesn't seem to be a go-to like one fix for all it's very situational totally mysterious colic yeah super fun times um but other than that she's doing good she's gaining weight as she should um gaining weight on track and everything's going really well do you want to jump in with some nico updates yeah three main things to talk about two of these uh concern coda as well one of them though is that uh we've got the first little bout of real jealousy i think with nico and we're at 20 months now interesting so this is when we hit that little milestone but uh my wife's cousin had twins about a month and a half ago Mm. Uh, twin girls and so of course twins they're born a bit early and then they had to stay in the hospital for like a month wow so uh, they just got out of the hospital just went to the house so then we went to visit them for the first time the three of us and we met these twins uh there's a bit of family there you know aunts and uncles and it's probably eight or nine or ten people there uh and uh so that was enough to distract nico but then eventually he caught sight of my wife holding one of the twins and was just like, you could see the panic on his face and he was kind of inconsolable. (laughs) And then eventually, you know, she, she held on to the baby for a while, but then gave up the baby and then like hugged Nico and he got over it. And Mm. then later I was holding another of the twins. And then Nico saw me from across the room and I could tell that he really fixed in on me. And uh, then he started to get like whimpery from across the room and then came over and was like, daddy, daddy. So it was clearly that he didn't want us holding these, uh, these interesting. And um, yeah. And I don't know if he was also confused because there were two of them that were exactly the same. (laughs) That might've set him on edge a little bit more. Maybe Um, he had never been in that kind of situation, but anyway, he was uh, in kind of a weird state. And I mean, a lot of it factored in. We had just, we woke him up from his nap to get over there on time. So he was big. And then we showed up at this house. He doesn't know. And his grandparents are there, but then his parents are holding babies. And it was like probably too much weirdness for him. That's a lot of newness. Yeah. He definitely wanted us to have him and not these other babies. So Uh, jealousy has come into play now in month 20. Man, I just think about like, they have twins, like those poor parents. (laughs) Poor, (laughs) poor parents. It's their uh, first kids, of course. um, And their last yeah, and they're yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think um the mother had her tubes shot off after she just uh, yeah, she wanted them gone. <laughs> and um that's to say nothing of the father's testicles. It's it's all it's it's a horror show. Let's not but, say anything. Let's, let's, let's not let's not drag their their reproductive organs through the mud. Um we uh which can be fun if if done in the right context. If that's your thing. If that's your thing. So twin jealousy. Uh, the next thing that we did was Halloween has come and gone since we had the last mm. J-Pops episode. And yes, it has. I realized this is something that maybe just came online within me uh, being a parent. And that's that I want to celebrate things and have people come to my house. And mm. for the first, like, uh, I was 38 when my son was born. So for the first 38 years, I never had that impulse 
Like I never held parties and I never like thought, oh, it's Christmas. I better get the decorations up. You know, I just didn't care at all. But now a lot of it's on me. I feel if I want to have my child have that sort of like American experience of what this holiday is and, Mm. you know, do fun stuff associated with it. It's a good opportunity for kind of an event. Um, So now like I'm, I'm gung ho and I'll have birthday parties, Halloween parties, Mm. you know, just do everything. Yeah, uh, which is a big change for me. But we, I thought um, trick or treating, you know, it's not really going to happen in the neighborhood, obviously, because it's Japan. They don't really do it. So I thought with these babies, we could just put a few trick or treating stations in different rooms of the house. And then the babies could go door to door in our house and just invite over kids who are basically two years and under. Right. Um, so we had a grand total of what, four children, four babies and their parents came through by mm. the end of the by the end of the event, but it was a fun little Halloween an opportunity to dress up the children. Um, Coda came as a fluffy pumpkin, which was he very did. cute, very fleecy. And um, Nico was Anton Sheger, the killer from No Country for Old Men. <laughs> and our, our effort levels for our kids <laughs> couldn't be more different. <laughs> yeah, this is what I'm talking about. I never cared about this before, and now I just dialed it up to 100. But I was on Mercari. I mean, I mapped out everything I needed for the costume, and then I was at wow. the hardware store. I was on Mercari like two months in advance, and just piece by piece, I got it all together. Wow. I, uh, you know, Anton Sheger famously carries uh, an air tank with a red hose and then a captive bolt uh, gun <laughs> at the end of it. And it's used usually for killing cattle in a slaughterhouse. Uh, don't Google it, by the way. It's horrifying. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but uh, I had to make one of those, but in a toddler size. So I had a, a little like an aluminum pet bottle, which made a perfect little air canister. Mm. But of course, it had like labeling and nutritional right. information. So then I, I sprayed it with a, a coat of uh, spray paint primer, let that dry overnight. And then I nice. gave it a few coats of uh, silver to nice. make it look canistery. Um, it looked very good. It, yeah. Thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, I used actual connector from my, my own air compressor as yep. the, the captive bolt gun. And it was convincing enough, I think. And a bit of red string for the tube. But we got the rest of it together. I sat on his haircut for a couple of months. I had to bargain and negotiate (laughs) away a haircut to make his hair the proper length for Halloween. So, yeah, I'd say since the summer, I've been plotting out this Anton Sheger costume. And he was a very cute uh, Hmm. sociopathic killer. Yeah. No country for little men. No country for young men. The Halloween party. (laughs) No country for young men is the perfect title for that Halloween costume. It's kind of fitting for Japan too. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But that was fun. Uh, It was good to get it together. And at the time I thought this is a little bit minor, you know, just we blew up some Halloween balloons and had some decorations and then had the kids over. But when I'm, I've been looking back on the pictures just a week later and thinking like, this was really nice, actually. I'm happy to mm. have these little pictures and a little trick-or-treating experience. and, and that Yeah, it was a good time. So. We, we definitely had fun. I know Coda really enjoyed it. And yeah. I like any chance I can to get him interacting with other kids. So Yeah, that's uh, it's good. There, there's kind of a baby boom around Kanazawa amongst our friends. Yeah. Um, all within about a two-year span. There's been yeah. loads and loads of babies born. Uh, oftentimes to parents who are like late thirties, early forties too. So it's like, yeah, it's a weird thing that's gone on here, but, uh, that means that there are babies galore. We can hold a lot of kids parties and there's always like a cohort of kids, our kids age to do Mm. that. And that's nice to have. Yeah, it is really nice. The last, uh, Nico updates, which I think this will segue into code update too, is that this was, this is bizarre, but, uh, and Nobody likes to hear about anybody's dreams. I know that that's a fact. So <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna pare down this dream that I had just to the bare essentials. <laughs> but basically, I dreamt that uh, we were at a beach and then Nico was out in the sand like, you know, 20, 30 feet ahead of me. Okay. On the beach. And then he was running toward the water. And I was like, that's not good. <laughs> and so I was actually on the second story of a hotel at the beach. And then I just jumped off the second story. Wow. Superman. Yeah. I landed in (laughs) knowing that there's sand down there, so I probably won't kill myself. But I I leapt off the balcony, landed in the sand, and I was chasing him down. But he got to the water before I could reach him. 
and then he just disappeared into the water. Wow. And so then I was like shouting around like, did, did anybody see where, where did he go in? Where did he go in? And then finally somebody pointed it out and I could see him when I peered into the water, I could see him deep down. Like, the, you know, it's just oh. the beach. But as soon as you look into the water, it's like 10 feet deep or something. Yeah. So I could see him down there and uh, his eyes were open and he was looking at me and he was like kind of crying like he knew he was in trouble. Yeah. Uh, and needed help. And then I couldn't sink in the water, though. Like I could reach into the water, but I oh. for some reason couldn't go down in the water. And so then I was like frantically like trying to jump up into the air to dive, you know, and splash in. And then that was the state of panic that woke me up. <laughs> That's wow. when I woke up from the drink. <laughs> so it was pretty high stress. Yeah. Uh, I thought my kid was like, you know, pulled down by the undertow and then uh, I couldn't get to him. So you have those kind of maybe everybody does. Has, you have that kind of panicky dream. But it's weird because I, I don't worry about him day to day. I'm pretty much mm. worry free. Like I feel like he's doing well. And um, I even, you know, if he hurts himself or bonks himself in the head, I laugh it off and I'm not like the helicopter yeah. style where I'm just panicked yeah. about everything. So maybe I have some latent uh, concerns that are coming out from my subconscious. Mm. So the only reason I tell that story is because the, the next day I woke up and I didn't tell my wife this dream. I just thought, oh, that's, you know, panicky or whatever. I yeah. went back to sleep. And then the next day. So then uh, that night, my wife told me, um, oh, did I tell you that Nico fell into the bathtub yesterday? Wow. And the bathtub is full of water, mind you. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's the Japanese style where there's a shower and the bathtub all in one room. So when you're giving him the shower, he's there next to this big uh, tub full of water. And you have to keep your eye on him because he's, he's a climber and a mover now. Yeah. So. I, you often have to warn him off of it. But if you turn your back, he can throw his leg over and, you know, dive mm. in within a couple seconds. So they were taking a shower the day before and uh, Nico scaled the side of the bathtub and just went head first right into the full bathtub. Oh, wow. And uh, this it amuses me because the water in the tub is so cold <laughs> <laughs> because we're not using it. I mean, you know, you'll fill it up and then leave the water there for a few days in the Japanese style. Uh, so mm -hmm. it, the water in the tub hadn't been used for a few days and I know it's cold because it's, you know, it's October. It was October <laughs> and sometimes there are toys in there and I have to reach in and I dread like putting my hand in the bathtub because it's so cold. And, uh, just to picture him like full body at first, wow. just diving into the bathtub, <laughs> it must've been horrible. But, uh, she gave him the bath at night and then, um, I guess, you know, uh, I didn't know about it. I didn't know that he had fallen into the tub and I forget who went to bed when or whatever, but I just didn't know. But that's right. the night that I had the dream that he went to the ocean and I had to fish him out of it. Wow. So, uh, I'm an adult, so I don't believe in anything, but <laughs> anything, <laughs> but it's just one of those weird coincidences. Um, and, uh, so all of this led my wife and I to really buckle down and realize we need to get on top of like baby CPR, toddler CPR or whatever. Yeah. Um, he had no troubles in the tub. Like he fell in and I think all mammals can be thrown into water and then pulled back out and, you know, it doesn't kill you immediately. <laughs> like that's something that mammals just have. Uh, so he never, I mean, he cried and it was very cold, sure. <laughs> but uh, nothing bad actually happened. Yeah. Uh, it was just a shock to him, I think. Interesting. But still we, it really like settled in with this, that, it could happen where it's more serious and we need to get on top of CPR. So uh, then you as another sort of uh, kismety thing message yeah. said like, let's do baby safety for this episode. And I was yeah. like, Oh buddy, that's exactly what I'm planning. So nice. it's all the stars are aligning for this one. But anyway, uh, mm. did something similar happen with Coda? Uh, it did, but I have a few updates. So I want to step back a bit oh, before okay. I get into that one. Um, yeah, so to kind of step back, I guess uh, lately we've been having a little bit of concern with Coda in general mm -hmm. about like maybe like developmental delays or even some like being on the autism spectrum a little bit mm -hmm. just because, you know, he's 19 months now. Mm -hmm. He's not talking yet. He doesn't point. He doesn't try to gesture and mm -hmm. he's not really like fully engaging when you're in playtime mm -hmm. 
he's more just like playing and then you're there. Yeah. So we had been a little, I guess we still kind of are a little concerned about it and trying to actively understand it and go about like ways to help him. Cause mm-hmm. I think like, you know, as a parent, like your job is to help your child develop mm-hmm. in whatever way they can. And so you want to kind of understand like whatever's happening to them mm-hmm. to help better help them develop. Mm-hmm. And so we found this, uh, there's a class which uh, parents can bring kids who they are concerned if they're having any kind of developmental delays and they can kind of get a kind of a mild assessment and mm-hmm. just see, and then some advice on ways to help them. Mm-hmm. So we did that this week when we took Coda over. I didn't go because we didn't, he's still a little clingy with me, especially when we go out. Mm-hmm. So we, we didn't want him to like go to this class and then just try to like cling to me the whole time. They wanted we wanted to get him like interacting and seeing how he actually plays. Mm-hmm. And so it was just Moe and him there. And I guess it went really well. Um, he he was actually interacting much better, even with Moe and like playing a bit more. Mm-hmm. And then one of the I don't know if she's a teacher or like a like a daycare assistant, somebody there who's like in charge of like all this developmental stuff was there and, and was giving some advice on ways to get him maybe like speaking more, reading more. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so give some good tips. Like if he's playing with a book, just kind of sit with him and like speak the book as he's mm-hmm. flipping through it, but don't try to like actively go through the book with him. Cause then that'll kind of deter him. Mm-hmm. So we've been trying to do more of that kind of stuff. That's cool. So like working with his energies a bit more and then trying yeah. to uh, mold them a little bit or, push them yeah. in the right right direction. Right. What about um, something that we always do is we take full advantage of the daycare staff's experience because they see, you know, something like five to 10 kids every day and they've done it for years and years and years. Right. So sometimes we'll ask a question like Nico wouldn't uh, even try to walk for a long time. He was like a late mm. walker. So then we would type it in to the, the little app that we use with them. Like, uh, so he's not really walking at all and everybody else is. <laughs> and then they would give their feedback just based on, I mean, between all the workers, it's could be like a hundred years combined of kid experience sure. or something. So um, we uh, really like to use that, but have you like heard anything about it or discussed it at all with your daycare? Uh, I don't think Moe's discussed it in detail. She keeps them up to date. Like she was telling them, like she took him out and took him to that class and mm-hmm. like, They've been communicating about like, yeah, he's not talking yet. He's not doing a lot of stuff. And mm-hmm. I think in general, it's it's hard at this age because it's like, yeah, some kids develop slower. Mm-hmm. And he just might be one of those kids, especially with the bilingual thing. It could mm-hmm. really like have stunted him a bit. So it's, it's always like, a, let's wait and see kind of, at least that's the gist I always got from it. Yeah. Okay. And that makes sense because you've pointed it out many times that um, you really judge, you know, for sure when they're a few years old. Yeah. Uh, and then see if they've all caught up to be yeah. at the same level or not. Yeah. So, yeah, that's a good thing to, um, you know, be wary of, but to withhold the final judgment for a while. It's hard, though, when you're going through it and you see your kid and you're like, I want to help you. I want you, you know, to progress in ways that are better and faster. Mm-hmm. so you can't help but worry or think yeah. about things like this yeah. but you know it's, you just gotta i think a lot of people try not to think about it too much yeah and i i think that might be the wrong way to go about it mm-hmm. like think about it but don't like stress about it you know what i mean yeah because you want to help your kid and if there is something then do do things that help them in the way that is beneficial for the way that they're maybe developmentally delayed or whatever yeah, absolutely. That's uh, that fine line, which, you know, we're going to talk about toddler safety. And uh, yeah. it, it puts me in mind of this advice you always see in an emergency situation. It always says, stay calm. It's like, <laughs> okay, thanks. But um, it's the equivalent of telling somebody, cheer up. I'm yeah. Like, oh, yeah. Okay. I'll just turn off this yeah. anger. Thanks, dude. And I'll be happy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm panic racing for my child's life. And yeah, I'll, I'll stay calm. 
that'll be easy. <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, it's it's one of those things where you do need to, as best you can, in a stoic way, kind of override the the stress and the worry of it, and just right. be aware of it, but then not let that dictate kind of your whole mental state. Yeah, which I think it did for me for a while. I let it kind of take over, but and then you kind of take a step back and realize, like, okay, well. He's still my little boy. He's still having fun. We're still doing stuff. So let's yeah. just keep going and try to make things better. Well, what about safety explicitly? Yeah. So what was it now? Like two, maybe three weeks ago, we uh, we got a call from the daycare. He got a little temperature. It's like 37.9 or 38. Mm-hmm. Mild fever. So they sent him home. And uh, it was about lunchtime. So we got him right after he ate and then we put him in he's sleeping in the first floor to tommy room with me and so we put him in there to take a nap and we gave him some medicine and usually we do this and he'll be out for a couple hours because he's not feeling good Mm -hmm. had medicine hasn't had a nap so we laid him down we have a camera set up in there to point down onto our adjoining beds so i've got my bed there his crib they're joined he can roll back and forth freely. They're both at the same height. And then they're both low. They're, they're on the ground. So it's only about 10 centimeters off the tatami mats themselves. Mm-hmm. But for some reason, usually like on the monitor, I keep the notifications tell me whenever he says something, there's a noise or whenever there's movement. So if he's rolling around, like a light will shine up on the monitor and then it'll show me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't show me that day. And I don't know if there was a setting that we had it set too low or the camera battery was low or whatever, Um, but we didn't see anything that day. So we brought him home. He's in there napping. Moe and I were in the living room. Moe was on the couch, I think, feeding Emma. And the door to the living room was open, which goes out to the entryway, the tatami room and the stairs. And you can see out there pretty well from the couch. And I was in the dining room, which is you know, connected to the living room, I was on my computer, but I can see out the the door and I can almost see into the tatami room from where I'm sitting. Uh, so we were there. No TV was on. No music was on because we wanted him to sleep. And so we were trying to keep it quiet. So really nobody was making any noise that day. And somehow I looked at the monitor. It was off. So I turned it back on and then I looked down and there's no coda on the bed where he usually is. Hmm. So like I I can move the monitor. There's a little like navigation on there that I can like make it spin and go up and down. So I'm looking all around the Tommy room on the monitor and I don't see him anywhere. So at this point, like I get up and I'm like, I don't know where code is at. And I'm always like, what? (laughs) (laughs) So I go in there. I'm looking all around there. I go into the office, which is connected to the Tommy room and I'm looking all through there. And then I go out and I'm like, I don't see Coda anywhere. And then she goes into like the entryway and looks and I go into like the bathroom and like there's the bathroom, the changing room. And then there's a back room that goes to like my workout room and I'm looking all over there. We don't see him anywhere. We come back to like the entry and we're just like, I don't know where he's at. And like you feel panic. Like I've never felt panic like that before in my life. Yeah. Like it was very, very frightening. But then like, so we're calling his name out a lot. And I'm at the bottom of the stairs and I think, all right, I'm going to go upstairs and look. And just when I think that, I look up and I see his little head pop out from our bedroom on the second floor. Good Lord. And I was just like, holy shit. Like, this little dude ninjaed his way out of the tatami room, up the stairs. There's a gate on the stairs. It was open, but it's noisy. Like, every time you walk past it, you can hear like a chunk. Yeah. And somehow he managed to get past that without making any sound and all the way upstairs. Yeah. I've never seen him walk stairs before. And somehow he managed to do it that day. And your stairs are no joke either. Because like the whole, there's a wall on one side, but then the other side is just sort of an open railing. Yeah. There's a very big baby size gap on that side. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, It's amazing. He didn't fall, didn't have anything happen like... I don't know. And it it's it's especially scary because like I think day or two before that incident we were watching the news and it was like a grandma had taken a nap with her 2-year-old granddaughter mm-hmm. and the granddaughter had somehow 
made her way around the house up to the second floor and then fallen to her death from the second floor window. Oh, wow. So you're like, with that was like present in my mind when I'm looking for Coda thinking, yeah. oh, shit, where did he go? Yeah. And so it's a real fear. It's, it's a really quick turn, I think, from, oh, that's a scary incident to, damn, that's a tragedy. Yeah, absolutely. And it's uh, like so many things in life. It's down to absolute luck. Because Basically. like that grandmother, you know, could have just woken up and seen the kid playing in the corner. Right. And that's not what happened that day. Right. And that's the wildest thing. Yeah. Um, we've this is like not nearly at the same level, but it's happened a couple of times recently where it gets later in the evening, like 830 or something, especially going into a weekend. And Yumi and I will be sitting on the couch and both of us will kind of like nod off uh. <laughs> and then. I'll wake up and then Nico's standing like a foot from the television, just watching it intently or something. Uh, <laughs> and like, oh, thank goodness he didn't go anywhere. <laughs> right. Because I just fell asleep. So you have all those where in those cases, there's no story because nothing happened. Right. And you're glad. And then in your case, you've got a guy who like <laughs> you know, maneuvered his way up a whole flight of stairs and went to the bedroom for mysterious reasons. But again, thankfully, nothing happened. Yeah. yeah it can always take a turn. Yeah, it can. But that that led me to want to do this topic on safety because I was like, obviously, these guys are just trying to kill themselves every day. Yeah. <laughs> so how, do you, yeah. how do you prevent that? Yeah. <laughs> well, that's uh, as good a moment as we're going to have to segue into safety. Ten. Safety Tenville. We're in safety ten now, everybody. I hope you're feeling secure. Um, we've got a few things to discuss in terms of actual advice uh, because mm. of what Nico went through with the dunk in the tub. And then my wife and I started watching the YouTube videos about, uh, you know, child CPR, toddler CPR and all that. Uh, that's yeah. that's my angle. Um, what are you going to hit today? Safety wise, just general ways to like safety proof a living room or bedroom or wherever. I'll do the honors here and, and get into okay. some CPR. Um the first thing that I wanted to say is that us talking about it in an audio format is probably the worst way to learn about CPR. And then, unless you're blind. Yeah, unless you're blind. My apologies. Again, <laughs> I have to issue an apology to our, our blind listeners. Um, but uh, yeah, so this has to be the worst way. The, the next level up would be to right. watch a video or to read about it. And then the best right. way would be to actually participate in a class or something. Yeah. So where you can do it hands on. I mean, just in terms of what education is like, yeah. if you physically do it, you're going to have a better sense of how to do it when the time comes. So mm. uh, I would say the key advice in all of this is at the very least, go watch YouTube. And another thing is like, uh, people might think, oh, it's YouTube. It's some random guy in a trailer, like, or some influencer, like selling what they think CPR is. But obviously there are like, you know, hospital YouTube channels with medical professionals uh, all around the world, multiple languages, giving all the tips. And there are even like first responders, like firefighters, um, fire stations will make YouTube videos about how to do this stuff. So you right. can get a lot of sources and then see the common elements of their advice. And, and um, another thing is you might have to watch a few different videos or look at it from a few different ways because there are like variations within um, infant CPR. I mean, right. first of all, how old is the child? Because uh, there's kind of a cutoff at one year old. You know, if it's a baby, obviously they can't hold themselves upright. So like the Heimlich maneuvers out because their head's floppy. So, you know, there mm. are totally different techniques for if a kid is under one year old or uh, say one year to about eight or nine, um, mm. then you'll see like different things that you need to be doing. Right. Uh, then you've got issues of is the child uh truly choking or not um and is it like a an obstructed airway or are you talking about more of like a drowning or a water situation in which case the the steps are going to vary and be a bit different mm. and you've got to factor in all of these variables and think about how old your is your kid and then also think about i need to know what they what to do if they're if they've swallowed something um and if they've, if I think they're choking, is it more of a gagging or coughing or is it true choking? And then the the flip side is, um, you know, like a water related incident. So mm. uh, think about all these things and then watch the appropriate videos. Right. Uh, that being said, if you're 
talking about a, a blocked airway, and we'll talk about kids who are our kids' age, um, well, Emma's age, under one year, you've got to hold the kid across your forearm, like with their head in your hand, and then their body across your forearm, and then you sort of angle them downward. You want their mm. butt to be a bit above their head level. And uh, when they have a blocked airway, there's something called a back blow, where mm. you smack them in the back. And then there's a chest thrust where you um, it's like kind of two fingers like right below in the center of the chest, right below the nipple line. And you uh, give a chest thrust uh, and you alternate these. So like five back blows and then flip the kid over five chest thrusts. And this is meant to just compress the chest and then dislodge the object. Yeah. Uh, A kind of um, interesting thing that I hadn't really thought about is that if there is an object in the kid's throat or in the mouth, uh, don't go reaching around blind because you're only going to touch it and shove it down further. Right. Um, and uh, the only time you should reach into the kid's mouth is if you can see that it's there and you know you can get it. Right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's it's not something to go fishing around for. But you do the, the back blows and the chest thrusts, and then the CPR element of it is, uh, and you can correct me, but this is what I've gleaned from the, the various videos. It's uh, two breaths and 30 chest compressions and you alternate these things. And mm. uh, I've also, uh, I saw on on one channel, I think this was from an Australian hospital, they said, begin CPR with five breaths and then get into the 32, 32, 32, like keep alternating oh, the chest compressions and the, and the two breaths. I hadn't uh, heard that one. Yeah, other channels didn't mention that, but the Australians, apparently they say start off with five. Um, and at that time, you're also, that can indicate uh, is air actually getting through into the lungs? You'll see the the chest cavity rise and fall. Right. Uh, if any air is making it through at all. I want to make a point though. Yeah. When you're doing um, the breaths on mm-hmm. like a baby or a small child, you cover their mouth and nose at the same time. Yes. It's, it's pretty important. Don't try to just pinch the nose like you would an adult and, and like tilt the head back. Cause it doesn't work quite the same way. So you just kind of, cup the whole the whole area yeah yeah the mouth and nose together and and do your breaths that way yeah um that's true and uh the also to get the exact like you know where do you put your fingers for a chest compression and how far do you push and when you're doing a back blow where do you hit exactly and how hard do you hit that's the thing where you should really take a class or watch youtube and see a professional do it i guarantee it's never you're never going to hit as hard as you think you should. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's crazy. They'll, they'll wail on these dolls. I mean, they'll grab oh, yeah. them by the legs and smack them against the wall basically. And don't do that. Don't do that. Uh, but they'll, uh, <laughs> the advice for the chest compression was, I think they said press uh, a third of the depth of the body Yeah, uh, for your chest compression. Yeah. So a third Right into the <laughs> right into the sternum there, like that yeah. kind of blew my mind. But you do have to just sort of start whacking the kid. I mean, the alternative is they choke. Right. So <laughs> a broken rib or two is survivable. Yeah. So really, don't hold back on these things. I mean, within reason. But again, just go watch the video, and you'll get a sense of the sort of the force you should use. Yeah. But then, when the kid's over a year old, then the more traditional Heimlich maneuver can come into play. Because the kid is more of, uh, you know, mm. more rigid and can stand up and has more of an adult-like posture and body at that time. Right. So uh, then you can do it. But of course, uh, they're smaller. So there are there are variations that you need to do. But uh, again, I would watch the videos to figure out and see the exact placement of the hands and uh, mm. to get your timing down. Um then uh, if it comes down to a drowning situation, the key difference there is, of course, you're not looking for a blocked airway because, you know, they don't have an object, mm. uh, but you're going straight into CPR and right. um, you're doing the the chest compressions and the breaths. And uh, as you said, for a baby, cover the, the nose and the mouth. Also, in watching the videos, I narrowed down just a few like overall tips. This isn't like the technicality of counting this number of times or that number of times or placing your hands exactly here or there. But this is just sort of an overall thing that I think is good to guide you through the situation. One is totally forget about embarrassment Mm. because some people, 
your natural default, especially in Japan, is don't make a scene, you know. Right. But in this case, like all bets are off and just lean into making a scene. You know? Oh, yeah. Like you have to shout for help. Um, yeah. Th- there was also a thing about um, I read this here and there that a lot of people choke to death in the bathroom. Have you heard about this? No. Because you're in a restaurant eating in the bathroom (laughs) like you're in a restaurant and you start choking and you're embarrassed because you're like i look like an idiot and then you run to the bathroom and then you're all alone in a bathroom stall and nobody sees you fall over and die and so there are a lot of instances of they'll find somebody in a bathroom who's choked to death that's so sad yeah it's so sad but it's like even when you're choking, you're not at that level of I'm about to die psychologically. You're just right. thinking like, I look like an idiot. I've got to get out of here. And you go right. for it. And then uh, if you just would have stayed and like flagged somebody down, you know, you could have made it. So the eschewing embarrassment and like shouting, making right. a big scene, not not pulling yourself out of the situation, but pulling everyone into your situation is right. really, really crucial. And it kind of is, it runs counter to what you do in daily life 99% of the time. Mm. So That's a good you, point. you got to get over that mental hurdle. Then a little bit of a, uh, something that comes out of that is because you recognize the emergency, like other people are not really tuned into the level of the emergency that you know that you're dealing with. Yeah. So you, you have to start delegating stuff and doing it specifically and being totally mm-hmm. in control. And uh, I've thought about this a lot in the classroom, because if a student has an injury or starts to choke or passes out in the classroom, the teacher is the person who's in charge. So we often right. get like training about, you know, call this number in this case or you know, send a student to this office in this other case or ABC, you know, you have to figure out what to do in all these cases. And one thing that's so helpful is you've got a resource of people around you. So you say like, you, this guy, the guy with the blue shirt, you call 911 right now, you know, and like just bark out instructions to everybody because you're the most important person in that environment at that moment, you're the boss and you have to just tell everyone what to do. Right. So just anything that you think will help you do this, you do that, you run over to that office and ask for the first aid kit, or you get the defibrillator, you call 911, you take my phone, you put the phone on speaker, like just make people do things. Yep. And again, that level of bossiness is not really in our nature day to day, but you just have to go for it. Oh, it is in mine. <laughs> you'll have no problem <laughs> i have the, no problem with that <laughs> you've got the safest kids in hokuriku right now because you'll be bossing kids around. you'd think of, yeah. for the fact that he runs upstairs by himself <laughs> yeah, yeah. another bit of advice is to just keep going i think this would be in your nature anyway but mm. like it's not like do 30 compressions two breaths 30 and two and then you're done i mean you just yeah. you keep doing it indefinitely And then the only reason to stop is the kid gets better or a professional arrives and takes over the situation. I think that's really important. Like, yeah, don't give up too early because you can go for 10 minutes and then somebody will come and then they'll be fine. But you've done it for 10 minutes, whereas they probably would have died if you hadn't. Yeah. And that uh, this is kind of tangential, but I saw uh, I think it was a YouTube video months ago. And it was um, the title was something like, this is why you don't give up on CPR or something. And mm. they showed a um, a newborn baby who was kind of, I don't know if stillborn is the right word, but the baby was born and not responsive and not breathing. Mm. And so it was just a video of a doctor going through all of what he does to make a kid breathe. And the video was 10 minutes long. Wow. When you're watching this video, you're like at minute seven and you're like, well, this is not happening, dude. (laughs) I mean, like, what's going on? But then by minute nine, the kid gets responsive and the doctor's been slapping him and picking him up and pushing his chest and pounding his back and flipping him around. And then you realize, like, wow, yeah, 10 minutes of effort. As you're watching it, you feel like this is hopeless now. This is truly hopeless. But you have to persist beyond that because um, the only time it's really hopeless is if you've actually, you've, taken the agency and given up the hope and then that's when you know it is going to fail for sure so you have to really keep pushing and i can't think of a uh a worse regret that somebody could have oh yeah than thinking oh if i would have just done two more minutes yeah and just pushed a little bit harder could that have helped yeah and then to learn 
to like learn about that after the fact to do yeah. it for, to do it for five minutes you think oh god this is it's over but then yeah. to learn later that i should have been doing it for 10 15 20 or just indefinitely yeah. until somebody came yeah um because you know you could be the kid's not responsive but maybe you're pumping blood beneficially yeah. and then somebody comes yeah. along and, and solves it after you've uh you know, laid the groundwork. I don't think people understand. Like the point of the compressions is to pump the blood around. Yeah. Just and that takes time. Yeah. (laughs) That's why you're doing like 30 of them and two breaths, because that 30 takes a lot of time to to move that blood and keep it going. Yeah. It's so crucial um, to, you know, keep things oxygenated. You just want to keep this person like well enough uh, so yeah. that they can truly recover later. When I've when I've done classes, they always recommend like trying to tag team or take mm-hmm. breaks, like finding somebody else who can come in and like switch because you'll get exhausted doing this. I mean, uh-huh. it's going to be like the biggest workout you've had all week. Yeah, you're physically like pressing this person with all of your weight. Yeah, and you're doing that repetitively thirty times for you know ten fifteen minutes. So yeah, it's good to get somebody who could take turns or maybe somebody does compression somebody does breaths yeah or alternating so that you don't get exhausted yeah and that's the level of like uh the endurance that you have to have for this activity right like a sport you know it's like boxing or something like it's gonna take it out of you but that's a signal that you're doing it properly if you're like working yourself to that point right so the final thing uh this is just a little bit of advice uh that was say you're alone, you know, and you've got to make the decision, do I uh, call first for help on the phone or do I try to administer the CPR first? Mm. um, That's like a snap judgment that you have to make. The advice was to do one full round of CPR and then get your phone out, get the call going and put it on speaker and then continue with the CPR. So Mm. from the very beginning, you get a bit of oxygen in, you get a bit of blood flowing, hopefully, but then, you know, do get somebody on the line as well. So um, get a cycle in and then make your call. Yep. So those were the key points, my key takeaways. Um, That's good. What do you have on your safety? Uh, More just general house safety and like safety in general. Like I want to start with the big one in Japan that is the most lax safety issue i've ever seen and that's a seatbelt in a car Mm -hmm. for god's sakes put your kid in the safety seat and use the seatbelt (laughs) it's not that hard who cares if your kid cries for 20 minutes while you drive to the store he's not gonna die i see it all the time you're driving behind somebody their kid is bouncing around in the back seat going from the front seat to the back left right all over the place and you're like it would just take like one car going like 30 kilometers an hour to mess this kid's life up that is crazy. I don't know how that hasn't caught on more, but um, it, it's a significant danger and you just need to literally buckle down and yeah. uh, and be be tough. And like you need to be uncompromising in this stuff yeah. in terms of, um, I don't know, there was a situation uh, maybe a year or so ago where we needed to move a lot of people from one location to another location in the family. Yeah. And then it was brought up like, oh, okay, well a few people can go in the van with Justin and then Nico and Ayumi can hop in this taxi and go to the next house. And I was like, what happened? No, (laughs) we have a, we have a baby seat in the van. So why don't we put the baby in the baby? And it's a no compromise situation for me. Oh yeah. If you have an option of taking the kid in a car with no child seat or taking the kid in a car with a child seat, that's not a room for discussion. It's just a hundred to zero. Like you just, the hundred wins and you put them in the child seat. Every time. Yeah. You've got to really, I don't know if the mentality is not there to do it a hundred percent of the time, you have to push it that much harder to get it to a hundred. I can remember our neighbor infamously never puts her kids in car seats or makes them seatbelt or anything. Mm -hmm. And one time, we were going to Costco and she wanted to go with us, but she just had her little, I think it was her little girl at the time. Mm-hmm. And she might've been like six months or so. And we didn't have a car seat in that time. Cause we didn't have kids. We hadn't, we weren't at that step at all. Yeah. This was maybe, I guess this was maybe like four or five years ago, but she said, it's okay. I'll go with you and I'll just hold my kid. Mm-hmm. 
And I said, I'm not going to drive in a car with you holding a baby. Yeah. So I was like, you either drive your own car with your kid or you get that car seat out of your car and you put it in my car and put the kid in it. Yeah. So she did it. And I've never seen somebody look at me with such frustration. Yeah. (laughs) Like she was seriously mad at me for making her go through these steps and putting her kid in the car. And her kid hated it. She cried the whole way to Costco. Yeah, which was we took the highway, so it was like a twenty-minute drive. But I was fine; I didn't care. I had a coworker once who was talking about the rules with the classes and stuff, and I respected what she said so much. She said that I'm not hard and I'm not soft, but I want it done right. right. And I was like, "That's exactly the mentality. Like right. you're not being a jerk, and right. you're not being a pushover. It's just that there's a way to do it, so yeah. do it that way. Yeah. And that's it's like." Yeah, that kind of thing blows my mind. If somebody's frustrated with you on that front, it's like being frustrated with you because you said two plus two equals four and they don't agree. It's like, yeah. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? Beyond that, though, it's um, I think the, the most important safety things you can do are like those child gates on stairs or doorways or entries so that they can't get out into another level that that prevents mm-hmm. them from maybe finding something that can hurt them or getting up too high like like our kid did. <laughs> mm-hmm. So those are maybe the most important. The The next ones, I think, are like the locks on drawers mm-hmm. because there are so many dangerous things inside of drawers, Yeah, let alone the drawer themselves, which can just break a finger so easily. Oh, yeah. But if they get up there, they could climb up the drawers and get on top of whatever, get inside the drawers, pinch something. It's just better to keep that all locked up. Yeah. And as you said, the dangerous stuff in the drawers, like it's out of sight, out of mind. Right. So if all the contents of your drawer were spilled out in the living room, you would be terrified and panicked of your kid getting in it, you know? Yeah. But because it's just tucked away in the drawer, you don't see it or think about it. You think it's off limits. But if the drawer is openable, then it's it's back on again. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, it's it's crucial to keep them closed up. Our somewhat neighbor, one of Moe's friends from daycare, she's got a kid that's a similar age as Coda. And she was telling Moe the story about her. They have, it's kind of like that Japanese system kitchen style where it's like below the sink is that door mm-hmm. and in the door has the knife holders. Yeah. I don't know if she had a lock or not, but it it was it was openable. Uh-huh. So the kid was in the kitchen one day and she was in the living room on the other side and he comes out with two knives in his hands. <laughs> That's amazing. Happy as can be coming yeah. towards her. Yeah. And she was like, I guess she was just like fighting the panic to yeah. not like freak out and go run over to him because he's carrying two knives in his hand. Yeah. So wow. it's very it's very easy for them to find that stuff and get a hold of it. And it's lucky he didn't grab the other end of them. Yeah. I mean, just wave it around and then like slash yeah. your face. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, exactly. <laughs> anything. That's another one where absolute random chance plays such a part in that story. Oh, yeah. And uh, yeah. man, you're just like dodging bullets that you don't even see. or You didn't even know were shot. You know, you don't even it's think crazy. about that stuff. Yeah. 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 Besides that. So then you've got corners. Everything in your house has a corner that could potentially create a hole in your kid's head. Mm-hmm. that's the way i look at it they're soft-headed that's <laughs> they're sure. soft-headed and they run fast yeah that's what i've learned <laughs> it's an evolutionary flaw really it really is it put really the brain in a soft head and make them fast yeah so get those little protective bumpers that go on any corner or edge that you think might eventually become a problem so we've done that we've we've covered as much of the things that we've either seen him actually hit or think he might grow into and hit. That's a good call. Yeah. And then besides that, I mean, it's like there's obvious safety stuff. Like, so you have drugs in your house. Everybody does. You've got mm-hmm. medications. You've got uh, different fluids for like cleaning things. All of these things can kill your kid very fast. Mm-hmm. And if they're not in a locked drawer, then they need to be up somewhere that is very high and out of reach for that kid. Very true. Um, we don't have to worry about firearms, so I think I can skip that one. Although we might have some American listeners, so obviously lock your guns up. Yeah. Cause like it's statistically proven that if there's guns in the house, your kid's more likely to get shot by that gun than an intruder's gun. Yeah. And 
I think uh, the number one rule of gun safety, which is not voiced that often, is that you're always in more danger in the presence of a gun. So there's your gun safety lesson. Yeah, Uh, you're always in more danger in the presence of a gun. So Yeah. yeah, then make decisions accordingly. I used to have guns when I lived in America. I don't know if you did too. I didn't personally, but my friends had piles of them for sure. It's always a good idea. Keep them in a locked case and then keep a trigger lock on them. Mm, Yeah. If something does happen, like you're at emergency and you need that gun, it's not going to take you that long to take it out and unlock it. Mm -hmm. Like you're motivated. You're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But so is the kid who finds that gun. Yeah. But he's not going to know how to unlock it. So it's good to have that double lock system going. You know, in Japan, gun ownership is legal uh, within certain it's like only shotguns basically. And it's, it's heavily regulated to the point where almost no one has a gun. I think I, I wrote about it for the paper years ago and it was something like, you know, in America, they passed a one-to-one ratio on population versus guns. So then in America, this has been five years back there, the number of guns passed the number of people. So they're something now like, I mean, approaching 400 million guns in the United States for 330 or 40 odd million people. But um, in Japan, the number shakes out at about one gun per 140 households, at least a few years ago when I did this research. And these are multi-generation houses. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And yeah, household contains a lot of people. And um, there are probably a lot of holdover guns included in that from like the war days and like some old long rifle that probably doesn't fire anymore. Like that kind of stuff's probably included. But um uh, anyway, part of the law is if you have a gun, if you have that shotgun, you need two safes in the home, one safe for ammunition and one safe for the gun itself. So right. if you can you know, take those sorts of precautions, um, then that's advisable. Yeah, that is a good point. Keep your ammunition locked separately from your from your gun. Yeah. Uh, Jim Jeffries, the Australian comedian, um, has like a legendary routine on guns in the United States. It's probably... 10 or 15 years old now, but, uh, he pointed out, like, if you're really interested in safety, then, um, shouldn't you be subscribed to padlock monthly, like put <laughs> bars on your windows or whatever, get a dog, like figure it out. <laughs> but yeah, anyway. Yeah. Actually the best deterrent is a dog. Yeah, for sure. You can't shut them up. No, no. My dog is a testament to that. Yeah. I think you covered drowning safety with your dream fear but that was the other tip i had like just you know don't take your eyes off your kids and Mm -hmm. they can drown literally in anything it's amazing what a kid can drown in so don't think just because it's a little like wading pool like maybe an inch of water that they can't because they Mm -hmm. will find a way (laughs) yeah 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 literally an inch of water and then you just go face down in it and yeah there you are you might as well be in the ocean uh yeah but that's about it i think that was all of the house safety tips I had. I miss anything? No, I think we're perfectly safe now. Uh, just a stray thought, but um, I think Neil deGrasse Tyson was talking one. I think it was him, maybe somebody else, Richard Dawkins. I don't know. They're saying that like, what a design flaw in humans that the hole by which you put chunks of food in that can easily get trapped <laughs> is also the hole that you need to breathe and the same hole that you need to tell someone you're choking. Right. Like, what a horrible <laughs> mistake that was. The human body has a lot of design flaws. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like the whole sewer next to the amusement park. Like, that's yeah. not good. <laughs> yeah, this is <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, unless that's what you're into. I guess so. That's what you're into. But yeah, imagine if you could choke and be like, food gets stuck in your throat and you could be like, oh my God, everybody, I'm choking. Oh no, this is not great. Please help me. <laughs> like if you had a separate mouth hole, that's all it takes. Yeah. Or, or if gills. You a separate you had gills. If you had gills <laughs> to breathe through. If we could breathe through our skin, yeah. then you could choke on something and leave it in there for a week. Nobody would yeah. care. I've been choking on this for all week oh, now. Man. Somebody help Ooh. me out. Ah, it's all right. I'll get it later. That's annoying. <laughs> Can you imagine if this killed everyone? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get into Jahadi. Jahadi. 
Okay, we're having a seat on the Japati now, and mm. Japanese of the day today is a word not about safety at all. It's total departure, but it is the word itazura. 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 And uh, itazura means mischief, broadly. Oh. Uh, and it also doubles as like a prank, but it's also basic childhood mischief. Oh, so if right. you um, like imagine, you know, somebody falls asleep and you draw on their face or whatever, that qualifies as itazura. Um, <laughs> but also like if you come into your kid's room and then you realize, oh, the kid got the box of Kleenexes and there's Kleenex everywhere, then right. that's itazura because it's just some general mischievous behavior that goes right. on. So uh, itazara is good for, you know, if you have a toddler-aged kid, because basically their whole life is mischief. Basically. So just messing things up and getting into things they shouldn't. Mm. And uh, that's a valuable word. Itazura. Itazura. All right. Japanese of the day. Short and sweet. Very good. How about McWiffy? You got one, yeah? Yeah. I've got a highly speculative McWiffy today. And <laughs> it's because we met those twins. Oh, okay. Uh, my, my wife had has a cousin who had twins, and we saw those twins. And then it put me in mind of, like, they've got two kids, and you have two kids. Mm. The difference is that you've got a one-and-a-half-year-old and a mm-hmm. newborn versus two newborns. And if you had to stack these up side by side, which one do you think is more difficult to handle? Initially, I would say the twins would be more difficult to handle. Oh, yeah. Because you've got two crying faces, two dirty butts, mm-hmm. you know, two mouths that need to be fed. Yeah. You're just, you're always on either one kid or the other kid doing something. And I feel yeah. like, whereas the Coda is a little older, he eats, you know, regular meals now three times a day, has a snack here and there. But it's not like that panicky, like, feed me now. Yeah. And so you can like put him aside, throw some TV on, be like, all right, we're going to feed this one now and then we'll get to you. And usually he's fine. So, yeah, it's a there, bit easier. There's a surprising amount of independence when you compare a newborn to a one and a half year old. And yeah. you're like, this one and a half year old could practically have a part time job. Like he can just he can go. Why play. doesn't he already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, constantly asking myself that. But uh the counterpoint, I'm not decided on this. Like, it's a genuine question. I mean, I don't have twin experience or even two kid experience, so I just don't know. Right. But uh, the counterpoint is with the twins, you can get more of an assembly line thing going where you buy one size of diaper, you make one type of meal, um, mm. you like maybe they're having a similar nap time rather than an older kid who changes his nap time or whatever. Yeah. So you can like very efficiently, like even the, the clothes and the laundry and all that, you don't have to separate them out. They can wear the same stuff. Like all right. of that is so streamlined with, with two that are exactly the same. Right. Um, and that might shave off a few minutes of every task that you do throughout the day, as opposed to making like two different kinds of meals and, yeah, um, you know, entertaining the two different kids or like, say, yeah. put two kids in a twin stroller and go for a walk rather than one kid who wants to walk, wants to be held, wants to get in the stroller while yeah. the other kid's just in the stroller. You know, so like a lot of the difficulty disappears, but then you don't have any independence at all of right. among your kids. So I really couldn't figure it out. I don't know. That is very speculative. I think the savings, you have to be pretty organized in general. Mm-hmm. And if you're a new parent with twins, your organizational skills are probably almost completely gone. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Unless you have a, a lot of help. But I think I think over time, the twin kids would be easier mm-hmm. because, you know, twins tend to have a better relationship and they get along better and they do things together. So th- they will eventually, even at a year and a half, just entertain themselves. Mm-hmm. And you won't have to be that source of their entertainment where you are with the one and a half year old a lot of the time. And then waiting for the other one to catch up and then be like, oh, okay, now you guys can go play. So you you don't get that so much. Yeah. And there's always going to be, I mean, until the kids get to say like maybe middle school age or late elementary school. Yeah. There's a significant difference. Like if one's one and a half and one's three, then the types of stuff they're capable of are different. So you've got several years of... Um, like them not being on the same page exactly. Yeah. And then one can easily bully the other one and that sort of stuff. And 
Or just get bored and just get tired of playing with them. Yeah. We have uh, Moe's cousin has a little boy. He's like three, three and a half now. And uh, when he comes over and plays with Coda, you can tell the difference in their play mm-hmm. isn't quite what the older one wants it to be. Yeah. Like he's playing with trains and connecting stuff. And Coda's over here, just a destruction machine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And he's just like, why does he keep doing this? I'm trying to play trains with him. Yeah. And he's just like, well, that's what he does, dude. Yeah. And he just smashes the trains that I've worked so hard. On. <laughs> yeah. 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 I, I'm, the jury's out on this. Uh, I would like somebody with experience to chime in. You'd have to get somebody who had twins. And then separately had another family who had an older kid and a younger kid. <laughs> yeah. So if anybody knows the secret life kind of person out there. That's right. <laughs> yes. Let's do some dad jokes. I've got two dad jokes. I got two. Please go ahead, sir. The salesman at the furniture store told me this sofa will seat five people without any problems. I said, where the hell am I going to find five people without any problems? <laughs> That's good. <laughs> All right. This one. Uh, you know how the, the Olympics is always introducing new sports. Like I think break dancing is going to be in the Olympics and, wow. and that kind of thing. Uh, I, I heard they were thinking about introducing hide and seek as an Olympic event. <laughs> but um, good players are just too hard to find. <laughs> okay. Uh, my wife just told me she couldn't come shopping with me because she had a 2.30 meeting. I asked her if she was going to see the dentist. That's great. Way to really incorporate the 2.30 joke into your daily life. Oh, at the dentist? Mm. 2.30, huh? This uh, last one is, it's another wife-dad joke, and we've got a very special special surprise here. This was listener-submitted by none other than Japan podcast listener number one, Brian in Fukuoka. Brian messaged this to me a long time ago, weeks ago now, but we've got the delayed episode. So he's been on pins and needles, I'm sure, waiting Sorry, to hear his dad joke. Apologies, Brian, but here we go. This is via Brian and Fukuoka. I told my wife she should embrace her failures. So she gave me a big hug. <laughs> uh, very I don't know good. what I was going for with my delivery there. I was trying to channel Norm good. and I leaned yeah. too hard. It was a little Seinfeld, but it, it works. It's <laughs> okay. good. Well, that draws us to a finish. Thank you for listening. We hope this week's episode was informative and interesting. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us either on the site formerly known as Twitter at JPops Podcast or by email at info at the Talk to you next time. Seatbelt time. <laughs> <laughs>